Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. Today, it's going to be me and Lane again uh, today. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a guest speaker. So that's going to be fun. Who are we getting? Uh, I think I'm going to have the feed guys I just got done talking to call in. Okay, that'd be cool. That'd be fun. They were pretty good guys. I don't know. Like, their product's interesting to me just because they're trying to get rid of some remensin and feed, which is, I don't Ionophores, antibiotics, whatever you want to call them. They're necessary in certain things, but I don't know. I do know they reduce semen count in bulls, and we're getting ready to do a big Wagyu bull test in a month or in a couple months in the spring. So I'm trying to do everything I can so that we don't have to feed Remensen. So that's a. I'm looking at a few other products to keep their gut health healthy, but still be able to give them uh, an equitable ration so we can test it on day to day. Do you use it now in your feed program? All, all the time. All, okay. all the all the all the feedlot cattle get Remensen. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's almost an industry standard now. There, there's a couple things you can do Remensin or, um, there's another one, Bova, Bova something. We don't use that one cause I can't get a hold of it, but we use Remensin in our feed. We always have, we always will in the feedlot. It's an ionophore, so you can claim it's an antibiotic, but it's, it's its own class of, of additive. What it does is it keeps the pH a little nicer in the rumen so that we don't have problems with um, acidosis. And we have these cattle on feed way too long. So you need something. And Rumensin's done well for us. So that's why we use it. Okay. Uh, I don't ever remember my entire life not feeding Rumensin during feeding cattle out. Like, it's just something that's always been done. It's because it's a proven product. It's a proven, you know, dosage. And it keeps them cattle from getting sick in the lot. And we're talking our feedlot cattle, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost impossible to feed to your other animals. Uh, you would have some major issues feeding it to field cows. I don't know how you would make sure that it didn't get super wet and deteriorate. Okay. So the National Beef Line today has been interesting. We're up about up to 266 a pound for for calves, which is a pretty good number. We're down a little bit on fat steers, but I figured this time of year we would be because everybody's dropping steers into the market. So we're down about 0.9, well, 0.09, so nine-tenths of a cent. So we're not way down, but we're down enough that it's definitely an interesting deal. Stockers are down $7.06 right now, which is wild to me. I figured they'd stay pretty firm, but again, everybody's coming off grass. Yeah, we've got a lot of grass here still, but a lot of other places, they're almost out of grass. So it's one of those deals. The the market slows down this time of year. And the guys up in the hills, what, in about two weeks, will start bringing all theirs down from the hills. Yeah, so everybody's coming to the market to get rid of these calves. And that's why you're seeing the soft numbers. You know, corn, soybeans, wheat, they've all stayed pretty, pretty healthy. The potato markets took a dump to the crapper. Well, that's make people happy around here. Oh, my goodness. Potato capital of the lot with the world. So potatoes went from $25 a hundred to six bucks yesterday. Wow. It didn't happen all at once. Like it slowly worked its way down over like two and a half weeks. But, uh, and this is the thing. I don't know how, if you guys understand this or not, potatoes are contracted based on size and quality. There'll be a lot of potatoes that don't make quality. Oh, we had such a, Late start, and we've had such weird. Well, and the, all the spuds are small, and, yeah. but there's a lot of them. So I've heard two different two different guys. Um, one who's a good farmer, and the other one that they they are okay farmers. They just 
don't they, do a lot. They right? they do well. No, they do a lot. The problem is, is they have to figure out what to do with all their dairy manure, so they can't grow like eating potatoes. They grow only process. So, uh, the one guys told me they're they're about four hundred an acre, four hundred sacks the acre right now. The average normal year, you're about three twenty five. So they're seventy five bags over. <laughs> it's a lot. That's a lot. And that's they're they're looking for storage places because they've ran out of cellar room. And that's because they're smaller potatoes and more no, of them? Yeah, smaller potatoes, more of them. Okay. And then the other people, they're running 500 plus an acre. And they've filled up all of their storage, and now they're borrowing people's old storage that haven't been used for storage for 10 years, that people have boats parked in, for 50 cents a sack lane. Wow. They're paying 50 cents a sack to store these spots. Oh. Wish we had a couple sellers, Steve. Oh uh, yeah, that's what I was. Well, the one, the ones that are over at um, my in-laws, that's they have those, and then they have those at, at his parents' house. All right. of them uh-huh. that had boats and everything in it. Yeah. They've all been cleaned out. They will have a bunch of spuds in them. So, you know, the, the market's really weird right now, and I think fuel's going to keep going up. Me and you both know that, and everything else is just I don't I don't know what to think. I think that beef's going to be expensive next year. The prices that they've been paying, you know, translate to like $5 a pound at the grocery store for hamburger. Or better. It, or better. I mean, that's for the $73.30, right? Correct. So. 27 So what's the first thing on the list today, Elaine? We're going to talk about the rules so, made by the AGM. And so, how they're affecting our industry. So here's the problem. Right now. Right, well, let's start right off. So they made some rules at the annual general meeting. And they do this almost every year. And usually the rules don't affect everybody. I have always been told, and I've always been under the assumption that if the rules are made in September, they go into effect the following January. Well, I am mistakenly wrong. They are instantly activated the minute that the quorum votes and they are passed. So what this has done, this has taken one of the people that are we're going to run for the board of directors, and, and the rule change states that they have to be a financial uh, member in good standing for three years before they can run for the board. Okay. So he's new to the industry. Okay. And he doesn't have three complete years of AWA membership. Ah. And because of that, they're not going to let him run for board directors. And they'd made that rule. Five and a half, probably 15 minutes before he was nominated to be on the board. Okay. So is there any reproach that members can do on that other than vote vote the other... Rascals out that decided this? Well, no, it was an open meeting vote. So here's the other problem I have. Okay. So you have this open meeting vote, and all of the things they had there were, they were not beneficial to the industry at all. And they all passed somehow. And they all did it on electronic voting. So I have some real reservations in this. Okay. Back in the day, well, up until last year, last year, Mm -hmm. you would raise your hand to vote at the AGM. And everybody knew which way you were voting. And now you can do it online. It's a secret. And I'm not sure that I trust the process 
With as many problems as they had with it, getting it set up and going, I don't know if I trust the process. Okay. Um, but it, it is what it is. It, it's been passed, and now uh, Mr. Milburn is not going to be able to run for the board. Do I think it's right or wrong is the... I don't agree with them instantly enacting a, a rule the day it's voted on. I believe that there needs to be at least a three to six week period of time for the rule to be written, for the rule to be distributed, for the rule to have any, you know, have people understand what the rule is before it goes into effect. That's probably a good way to be a good thing, right? Well, it's a good way to keep yourself out of trouble for mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So the the problem is now, Lane, and this is the part that I think's all but the, the wrongest part of it. So they let this poor man get his people together, get nominated, because it's not always it's not always an instant easy process. You know, I got nominated for the board this year, and it was done because people were tired of the industry being the way it is. Okay, right. He went out and he's done everything he needs to do. He sits on the Texas Wagyu Association board. Okay. Yet he can't qualify to run for our, for the American Wagyu Association board. A subgroup allows him to be there, but we're not going to. Over a few months? That's problematic. It's problematic. Here's the other problem I have with it. So you don't say anything to him. You let him go through the process. You let him get his stuff signed up. You let him put stuff in, and then all of a sudden you call and tell him he can't be there. And then here's the, here's the worst of it all, Lane. They started voting on Saturday before they had the bios out today. Well, that's, that seems shady. So this poor man has gotten votes, right? Right. Well, anyway, so what they did is, is they canceled everything, resent out a new thing to vote today with his name off it. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> it seems like to me, and I don't know a lot about the politics, but it seems like to me they got themselves into a litigious situation. It's going to be very yep. expensive to... The industry, the association. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if this was me, I would have my lawyer on it. Because it's not fair. No. The other issue I have with this whole deal is the way they went about telling everybody. They sent an email out telling everybody that he didn't qualify because he hadn't been in there long enough. Not everyone received that email. I've had five or ten guys call me today that, hadn't, that can't figure out why he's not on the new one. And then I go, did you read your email? They're like, what email? Okay. So it wasn't distributed to everyone equally for whatever reason. The last problem I have is, is this is an example of what happens when you allow the prisoners to run the damn asylum. This is not how this is supposed to be. What they've done here has made me frustrated with the whole system because I'm not sure what on earth they were thinking if people, why would you discourage someone from, from running for the board? In an industry where we have a problem with getting people to come and do anything anyway. Being on the board is not a glamorous position. No. 
your, your you know the board issue is um it, it's free you don't get paid for it so why why tell somebody who wants to donate their time they can't even run does that make sense it seems like there it seems like there may be uh behind the scenes um agenda that they're trying to accomplish and that's the problem right that's the issue i have with it is that the 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 it feels like something's not right and usually when things aren't right i i have a pretty good feeling on on it and i can usually pick on it pretty quick right correct hold on one second lane okay we're back Lane had a problem with his microphone that I had to adjust. Was it my problem or was it the microphone's problem? Um, it was the switchboard's problem, actually. Ah, uh, okay. So, not a big deal. We like had like five minutes of dealing with that. Not really. It was like three seconds. But the problem lies, Lane, is that there's something fishy going on and I don't like it. And so, do you dig down through the layers? and? Not right now. Uh, I'm I'm not in a position right now in my life where I need to add another fight to this battle. Okay. Uh, there's a reason I'm running for the board. There, there, it's a pretty valid reason. I'm tired of watching the nonsense. It is a valid reason, right? Um, and there's not many people that have the contacts I do inside the USDA, inside other other cattle industry. It's pretty hard to beat me when it comes to things like that. Qualifications. Oh yeah. Who can? Yeah, you know, I've got fancy degree, I've ran multiple businesses. Like this is this is a a thing that's important to me and I'm so structured in life that it's easy for me to push that structure onto something else. One of the other interesting things was is for a 100 for and since this thing's been incepted, um the board members always serve as the treasurer, you know, one of them does. Correct. Well, they made it now so they could hire one. Or a, or a CEO or something else to hire a higher level of management that, re- that returns to the board. Well, here's the problem with that. Why? And these would be paid positions? Paid positions. Why? Why? That's what I said. Why? You already have screwed the EPD program up. It's plain and simple. Right. You've already screwed up about a third of the things that you guys have put forward right now. And then the problem lies. And this is where it drives me the most crazy not the these decisions sometimes feel like they're not targeted towards the industry as a whole but more towards individual breeders and for us it doesn't matter like we've got our stuff established and set up and going but the new people they it's leaving them with no choices right they are coming out with a new label finally okay after how many years lane i've been complaining that they don't have their own label forever yeah forever uh we had our own label within the first six months of being in business lane Yes, we did. Certified Wagyu label. So they're making one finally. Aren't they? Let's see if they uphold the back end of it with any teeth. We'll see if it has any validity. So is it a full blood Wagyu? So what they call is it F one Wagyu label? They're not doing an F. mm, They're not going to call it that. They're calling anything over fifty percent Wagyu a Wagyu labeled product. Yeah, that's pretty broad. Pretty broad. I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be a big fan of it. But it's better than nothing. We still have the only true full-blood branded program in the nation. 
we always, I don't think we'll ever see a, a side of that where it goes away. So those are the things that happened. I'm not sure if I like how the outcome is going to be. It's going to get worse. Me and you both know that before it gets better. Right. So, you know, however this ends up, whether I get back on the, whether I get on the board or not, there needs to be some changes. And it sucks because we went from an industry that had some pretty good credibility to one that when you go to the NCBA, they laugh at you because we have an E, you know, a director that hasn't held his, his end of the end of the shake. You know, we have an executive director who's a paid position that goes and does things like I was at a, at a thing in, in Dallas one or in Denver, out Fort Collins. And the Australians did a, mav, a, a marvelous job online at in the middle of their night. And here at the American Wagyu Association, we couldn't even put together a decent presentation in our own country. So things like that drive me crazy because I, what do I tell you all the time at the butcher shop lane? Perception is everything. Perception is nine tenths of your, of your reputation. So if the rest of the cattle breeds see us as a joke, that's, that's what we what, are. That's what we are. And I don't like it. It takes a long time to change perceptions. Ton of time. Especially when your executive director shows up and does a half-assed presentation and then the Australian boys get up and that dude is a good speaker which helps a ton, but he was prepared. Right. And he answered all the questions that Robert couldn't answer. That's the part that irritated me. So I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the breed and it's cause it's growing. This right. is what happens when breeds grow. Mm-hmm. Weird stuff like this happens, but if you don't have someone there to corral it in, you're in trouble. And that's, I hate to say it, that's what I'm, one of the things I'm good at is corralling in trouble and then figuring out how to dissolve it. That's very true. You know, I, uh, I fix a lot. I've, I've been, I've been called a fixer in, in my industry. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but that's what I do. Problem solver. Let's say problem solver. It's a nicer way to say it. There you go. But when when business is getting big trouble, I'm usually one of the first phone calls. And we're not talking little businesses. In the Pacific Northwest, if there's a major business and they're in a lot of trouble, I usually get a call. Usually. Whether or not I go and help them or not is another thing. You know, it's how many times do I get a phone call first thing in the morning or last thing before I go to bed and say, hey, I got to go to... Seattle for a couple of days and uh, you see me when you see me, make sure everything's taken care of. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an often event. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like weekly, but no. probably every 60 days. Probably 60 to 90 days. When I was working a little more with USDA, it was a lot more. When you were working a little bit with US Marshals, it was a lot, lot more. It was a lot, lot more. But, but that's, that was to come with that. Right. Um, so, you know, that's the problem is we need to figure out how to fix the problems we have. If we don't fix them now and at the rate we're growing, they're going to become monsters. Right now, they're baby problems. They're growing pains. Right. But growing pains can turn into a tumor real quick. And yeah. sometimes you got to clip cut. off the tumor. I, I tell Lane, right. sometimes it sucks, but you got to clip off the toe. Yeah. You know, you got a toe that's infected and you can't get it healed up. Just cut some bitch off at some point. We have one of those that work for us. We do. We do. And he's, he's going to end up losing his leg. 
Yeah, at some point. Yes, he will. And and that's that's the the reality of it, guys. You know, a lot of times you hear me complaining on here, or I vent my frustrations, but the reality is 90% of it comes back to how the association's being run right now. We've got two members that don't own cattle. They work for other people that have cattle. Which should never be. Which should never be. Because all they're doing is representing their paycheck. Their F1 paycheck. That is what they're representing. And you can say it nice, or you can say it any yep. way you want, or we're independent and everything else, but as long as they're representing their paycheck... That's who they are. And they don't have a uh, dog in the fight. Yeah. That's- and then the other, the you know, the, the past president we had just a, a year ago, you know, Kyle, he he works for Arturo. So whatever Arturo wants, he's going to do. Exactly. That's that's not somebody you want on a board. You know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a lot of shit over this, this podcast today, but I really don't care at this point. I, I don't care ever, but... The reality is when you don't own your own cattle, you make decisions differently. Let's take a step back. You care too much about the industry and the cattle. Oh, yeah. It isn't that you don't care that it's going to make people mad. You care enough to make people mad. Right. And and I've always been the person that's been okay with that. Right. I've got big shoulders. That's why God gave them to me. I just didn't want people to think that you're saying, I don't care. Well, and, and that's because the, you uh, care too much, too much. And that's the problem. I care too much that we're allowing this industry to be represented by people who don't even own the cattle. Right? Like, like I want you guys to think about that anywhere else in the world. If you would say, Hey, this person's working here and they're on the board, but they don't own any cattle. They'd be like, well, lad, that doesn't make no sense. Their first in- interest is not, is this association becoming better? Their first interest is, am I getting paid today? Exactly. You know, and, and, you know, I will give it to both Kyle and Jenny. They work hard at what they do. Okay. And they care for cattle. Okay. But it's different than owning your own stuff. When you're somebody's hired guy, it's a different thing than being the guy in charge. And Lane has learned this with the butcher shop. It's a lot different, huh, Lane? It is. You look at things different. You do things different because at the end of the day, you're liable for the decisions that were made during the day. And how many times do we turn around and discuss some of the poor decisions? Oh, yeah. Well, shit, me and Lane have to go and talk to our employees about their poor decisions outside of work sometimes because they come into our, our facility with them. And perception yeah. is perception. And and that's the problem. Everybody forgets this isn't just a, oh, you guys raise cows. This is an industry that people feed their families with. This is how they make money. This is the new, there's new guys I know today that are working two jobs to get into the industry so that they one day they can go down to just being cattle guys. That's pretty that's a big deal. That's a lot of dedication, right? That is a ton of dedication, taking everything extra you're making and putting it into cows. And the industry and the association needs to be there. And, and this is the thing that bothers me the most right now. The slogan for the, the, the slogan phase for the AWA is to improve. It says to improve and maintain Wagyu genetics in America. 
And who's doing that? Not very many people. We don't, you know, we're getting this new label, but who's going to hold these people accountable? Because anybody on that board I can look at aren't going to hold them accountable. I mean, over 50% is Wagyu product. Yeah. 51% is Wagyu product. Correct. And they and they're classifying it the same as full blood well, or per un, under purebred. The, yep, under their program, all of it's the same. So I was talking to my buddy at the at USDA, who's kind of in charge of getting this done, and he told me that this is the biggest shit show he's ever seen. And he deals with the Pete Montese boys, and to say that that's wild. And we were talking about in the day, right? Right. Back in my former life. Yeah. And and uh, certified agonist was just kind of coming into the market really good. Um, and I tell you then, the percent of blood in the Angus was a whole lot more. Oh, yeah. Than it is today. So right now, in order to file a CAB programming, you have to have 10% black cover. So some of them spotted Holsteins count. Exactly. Yeah. They don't even have any Angus blood in them. Nope. I've got and a Holstein. And it's certified Angus. Yep. I have a Holstein cow at home today. Yep. That would be, even the white one lane that's mostly white would qualify as a CAB product as long as it hit a choice standard. Think about that. It is. It's. It's disturbing. Now, that's what we're doing with our own product now. We're devaluing it. That's exactly what they're doing. A lot of you out there are like, oh, I want a grading system that makes Wagyu important. You really don't. I'll tell you this right now. Do you want to know why, Lane? Tell me. I think I know, but go ahead and tell me. One, you're going to find out that most of your stuff's not as good as you think it is. But number two, you want to talk about a group of individuals that can capitalize on money? Start talking to commercial cattlemen. You'll have so much F1 Wagyu floating around that it devalue the market so quickly, it's not even funny. Yep. You know it, and I know it. They're as bad as potato farmers. Yep. And that's the problem, guys. You have to take care of the product. You have to take care of the people, or you don't have a product. The one thing we have right now is we have an animal that marbles better than any breed I know of today. But I know a lot of Wagyu that don't cut the mustard anymore. Steve, most of the Wagyu that comes in our shop from outside producers, dude, it does not cut. No. Where they even think it's going to. No. And, and, and we have that discussion all the time. And all I'm, the time. I'm getting late. I bought new, Lane a new camera so that we can just run it real quick and hand him a picture of it and say, hey, this is the reality of what you got. I, I don't know how else to help these people. You have to pick good genetics. You have to feed these genetics to the most optimal potential. And that's the most important part right there. You have to give, from the time we create an embryo and it's in the womb of a cow and growing, we screw it up every single day. And we all do it. I, I'm, I'm guilty as the next guy. But the one thing that we do here different than a lot of other places is I try as hard as I can to learn and use the stuff available to us 
to make it as least a problem as problem. At least the less amount of a problem than it's going to be. You could take the same exact genetics and put them in another place and they will not look like what we have. We've proven it. I've taken cows from other places and brought them here and made them look better. So that's the problem, guys. We're just not doing... A, we're not doing everything we need to to make these cattle ready. But two, we're not, we're not using these cattle appropriately and we're not maintaining cattle in good husbandry manners. And I understand everybody can't afford to do what we do. So is it because with the other European breeds that they just... They're just different. They produce different. They utilize their feed different. It doesn't take as long. It doesn't take the baby to get them to the point to where they're... Well, think about what they were doing, Lane, with continental cattle. They were breeding an animal to be big and strong and fat so that they could eat them. The Japanese never did that with Wagyu. They were designed to be big and slow maturing so that they could pull carts longer and their bones were built differently and their muscle structure is a little different. You see that when you cut it up. Yeah. They, they were not bred to be eaten. They were bred to be a work animal. And now we're using them as a feed animal and then we're not doing it the right way. We're pushing them too hard. We're taking shortcuts. Yep. We're not feeding, we're feeding them less expensive Right, right. And I want to, I want to put this, preface this. I'm not saying you need to do it the Japanese way. But I am telling you, you need to do it in the Japanese mindset. And the Japanese mindset is you're going to do whatever you're doing to the best of your ability every day. So if you're feeding cows, you feed those cows to the best of your ability every day. And then when you have a problem... You go and research it and figure out what you did wrong and you fix the problem and you start over again the next day. Does that make sense? That's, this has been a total learning experience the whole nine, ten years we've been doing this, Steve. Right. I mean, we feel, feed so much differently today. Oh, yeah. Than we did when we started. I mean, feed differently than we fed four years ago. Probably two years ago. Yeah. I feed diff- more differently today than I did two years ago. We have cattle right now we're getting ready to kill that have been on a feed program that was changed mid-feeding because I found something better. And I wasn't scared to say, let's just throw the brakes on the old program. We're going to throw it out the door. Let's get on this new program. Let's do it right. I sat today with feed, with a, feed, a group of feed guys so that we could get rid of Rumensen if possible. You know, we're going to do a challenge on it. We'll do a feed trial challenge on it, right? We're not going to just change because they say it's going to help us. Right. But we're always trying to find the next thing that's going to improve our process. And I'm not sure about this stuff. Um, It's pretty hippie to me. It feels a little (laughs) crunchy. (laughs) Sherilyn will like it. Uh, I had to call my wife and ask her about all these different oils and extracts they're putting in it to verify that it actually does what they're telling me there it was doing. Right. Um, but I think that from watching my wife's hippie magic, I call her the forest witch sometimes. There you go. Um, 
not like as in the mean witch, but no. like like somebody who lives in the forest and like bruised stuff. and makes potions. Yeah, 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 yeah. tinctures the, is what yeah, she calls tinctures, them. But yeah, you, potions. They are a potion. You, you call them. I call them afternoon drinking. <laughs> so they. So <laughs> it's side, true. Side, side it's note. True. Side note here. So my wife goes, "Oh, I'm going to make my own vinegar." So she's making this vinegar, and it turned alcohol on her. Or is it apple vinegar? She was apple to make? cider vinegar. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Turned into the best apple apple cider hooch I'd ever had. Nice. Drank more of it than she got in apple cider vinegar. She wasn't happy about it. But, you know, she started making tinctures to rub on your skin or whatever you need to do with it, you know. And I found out they were just vodka with oil in it. So I started drinking them. There were some good ones. There were some bad ones. Like, don't ever want to drink eucalyptus tincture. Uh, uh-huh. It, like, burns your nose and stuff after you drink it. But, you know, the vanilla tincture was pretty good. There you go. I enjoyed that one. I actually enjoyed it probably too much. But th- that's what I'm saying. So I've come to the reality because of who I'm married to that sometimes we use Western medicine too much. And and just for full disclosure, my wife's a nurse, so it makes it even worse. Um, <laughs> she was trained in Western medicine. There you go. And now, you know, and she sees things that she doesn't like because it's Western medicine is about treating the problem and not fixing it. Correct. So, so are we done with the the rules and things right now? Yeah, for the most most part, for the most part. So we're we're going to go into the fun part of the podcast. We're going to talk about Black Wagyu today. So I'm going to, so this will be our first Black Wagyu true segment. And Steve, it's important for people to know. Right. I know we've talked a heck of a lot about Red Wagyu in the past, right? Oh, yeah. It's just because I love them so much. Yeah. But I tell you, we kill 10 Black Wagyu in our herd for every one red that we kill. Right. Right. And I have I have a, quite we, a large red herd, and I have quite uh, a large black herd. He has an okay size red herd, and he has a very large black herd. Right. So it's right. it's not it's not it's not like, even 50/50 by any means. No, no means. The, I, I would say my red cows are probably in the industry nicer than my black cows. Yes. Um we need less of them because we put in more embryos that way. We don't put near as many black embryos in as we do red. Right. But the thing is is don't want people to get the wrong idea that we oh, yeah. don't like black wagyu. Yeah. They're they're a very, very important yeah. part of our industry, our, our business, right? Right. And, um, uh, and I'll give you a little background why I, I, we don't talk a lot about Black Wagyu. So I inherited my Black Wagyu herd. Inherit's probably not the right word. I purchased my Black Wagyu herd from my mentor's wife. Correct. And I got to go in and take the cows I wanted. Correct. And then I got a cow that was floating around couple people got a flush and I got her and she was old and we flushed her a ton. So my herd is mainly, um, two female lines. You, it's a UKB 831 G, which is a Kikohana on top of a Kikohana. Right. And then seven, six, seven T, which is Sanjiro over Nakazura. And I have, Weeded out the other cows, most of them, not all of them. I have a Yoshi cow and a few things like that. Um, I've narrowed them, weeded them out to the point where we only keep seven, we have a bunch of seven, six, seven T daughters and a, quite a few 831G daughters. 
And I have based my entire herd off of those two female. On the black side. On the black side. And then what we did is I bred like 831G because I had her and 7617 collection. I bred them to the bulls I liked. Now, when I say I like them, I look for different things than most Wagyu guys. I want to have a cow that's functional. I want a cow that can walk around because we put them in huge pastures. We expect them to do a lot of things that a normal cow should do. We house them with normal cows. Continental cattles. Correct. We house them together. Mm-hmm. So they have to be able to fight each other and do all those things. Right? Like, right. They have to establish their pecking order, right? And they better not be at the bottom because then they won't eat. Correct. So I, I, so I use bulls like Ido Shogunami. I use bulls like Michifuku. I like some Shogatanis. I actually bought a really nice Shogatani son from Janelle. Okay. Up at six buck. He is a uh, Kobe... Mitsutani bred back to Suga Sugatani. So he got he's got Suzatani top and bottom. He's a great little bull calf. We bought him, he's only a year old. I need to get um some stuff to, he needs his horns done. That's what he needs. Um but he is gonna probably take over for our herd bull, which is a Ido Shogunami over um how does that work? No, he is a sugar, uh, Fuku over an Ido Shogunami daughter, JD. Right. So he'll take his place. And, um, I don't have him housed together. I actually have him housed up in Rexburg, my, my bull calf. Uh, we'll go get him in a couple weeks and bring him home and get his horns done and all that fun stuff and get him put back in the bullpen with everyone else. Let me do these. Bullhorn, no, these we're doing, we're doing these ones on Monday. Okay. So uh, the master chefs will all go in on Monday and have their horns done. So yes, I know I'm talking red cows, but we're back to black. We're back to black. Um, so when we take, so I, I have a cow up in collection right now. Mm-hmm. She's a TF813, mm-hmm. which is Lone Mountain's favorite bull for marbling right now. Over 7670. So she's there. Um, we're breeding her to Ido Shogunami first round. Sugar Shogatani second round. Michifuku third round. If I do a fourth round, we'll probably use a Kosin or a Yasufuku Jr. 7670's best son of all time out of the 85 progeny she has is a Yasufuku Jr. son. He marbled the best. He finished the best. He was the best of all of them. 7670 is registered both here and in Australia. But the EPDs versus EBVs are completely so different, it's not even funny. But some of our biggest and best carcasses come out of her progeny. And we've killed her direct sons. That's what we've been killing. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it is what it is. One other thing is, um, I'm, I don't like to say I'm new to the black game. I definitely have had to learn a lot more in the black game. And the one thing I've learned is that there's two breeding philosophies. The guys who breed small animals that want to just have, I just want to sell ribeyes and tenderloins in New York. So that's all I want to sell. So they, they breed a smaller cow. Well, we've taken it as a holistic approach. I want bigger ribeyes. I want bigger New Yorks. I want bigger tenderloins. And I want some more side meats for profit. And I'll let Lane kind of describe, explain to you why that is. From the butchered side of the butcher's side of the table, 
there's only so much. 4%, 5% ribeyes. Right. 2 to 4% tenderloin. 4 to 5% New York's. And then you have all the rest of meat as. But figure, figure it out somehow. Extra, yeah, figure it out somehow. And so I've done a lot of stupid things. Steve thinks they're stupid, right? When I, but one of the best things I've done, I started cutting those rounds into carne asada. See, and I thought that was good because it's just like doing shabu shabu. Not at the, not at, no, because you were, not you, at the beginning. I, I thought it was fine until you put it in the cube steaker. No, that wasn't what we put in the cube steaker. We did cube steaks, but it wasn't oh. that wasn't the carne asada. But the carne asada, I it's mean, great. people use that. For their stir fries, they use it for their... But it's no different than shabu-shabu. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's not as thin as shabu-shabu. No, but it's the same principle. Right. And people love it. They can go into so many different things. And they'll, and they'll pay $20, $25 a pound versus 10, 10 or 12 yeah. for hamburger. And, and, you know, just so everybody realizes this, so when we kill cow for us, we do it every year. Yeah. We get so little hamburger because it all goes into sliced meats like that. I bet you we only get 35 pounds of hamburger back at the end. Yeah, about that, maybe 35 to 50. Yeah, depending on the cow, depending on the steer. And, we, and we're making some bonus rolls and some bonus right. things and stuff that wives can cook and use. Cook and use. And, but we do, we do some of the extra stuff. He gets yep. carne asada, I get cube steaks. We're both happy. Ugh, that's still the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. This but, is, for, but for a great chicken fry steak steak? Oh, yeah, it'd be great. I know it would be, but here's the problem it's I have wag, with it. He says it's Wagyu. We're not doing stuff so, like that so with he, Wagyu. Here's the problem I have with it, guys. My problem with cube staking Wagyu is not that it's not a good product. Lane, in your... In your years of cutting meat, what was the normal reason you made cube steaks out of a certain cut of beef? To tenderize it. And that's what I never want is to have the appearance of a tenderized... That I need to to tenderize tenderize my Wagyu. Yeah, I can get that. I get that. It's not that it's not a good product and it's not going to be great to eat. But it's like I always tell Lane, it all goes back to perception. And if they see you start doing this a lot, they're going to start wondering, is it really as tender as they said it was? And then I have a different outlook of it is you open those, you open those, the, the meat so you can get the egg and the breading and stuff in like a really nice, and it's. Oh, I bet but, it's but, great. But, but yeah, but it's, we're looking at it at two different angles. Right. And we're probably, if we take that about 50% it's, it's of the prob- way, it's probably, yeah, we're right. probably right on probably the money. Right on the money. You know, but th- that's my always my concern with cube steak and Wagyu. See, I never, I never ever, have, I never ever correlated that right. with your objection. Yeah. Until it, right it, now. It, it's, not, it's not a food thing. I think it would be a great cube steak with white gravy. I probably would quite enjoy it. That's one of my favorite things in the world, chicken fried steak. I just worry about the perception if someone comes in the shop and they go, what are you doing today? Oh, we're cutting Wagyu and you have a pile of cube steaks sitting there. 
<laughs> because in their mind, like, think about it. Think about like if it was a regular beef. Yeah. They see the same size pile. They're going to be like, well, then why is it better if he's having to make cube steak out of it? There you go. Okay. Yeah. It, it, yeah we're. It's not usually the, per- no, the person. No. I never worry about the person getting it because they're going to love it. Ah, it's so we're gonna have to make. It's the perception, though, of people coming in, and you have people come in and out of that shop all, all the, time. the time. Yeah, so cube six can only be made in the cooler. There you go. Nobody can watch them. There you go. There you go. But but that's just the reality of it. And and because of what I do for for it's not even a living. What I'm good at and get paid to do often is to make sure that perceptions are equitable and correct. Right? So little things like that, Lane gets irritated sometimes with me about, but it's just because I see it from what problems could arise from this situation. You know, I, today I had to drag him in the office and tell him he had a problem with a, a person in, the, in oh, there wow. that he didn't know about. And I knew enough. And it was a doozy. Let me it was, tell you. Yeah. And I knew enough that was, I knew it was wrong. Something was wrong. But then it got worse. <laughs> like I thought, I, I was like, okay, we got this figured out. No, no. And he starts talking to us and it's worse. But those are the things. I'll tell you right now, if me and Lane weren't friends before business partners, we would have a mess a lot. We would have a mess a lot more often than we do. And, and the benefit Lane has is 90% of the things we have a pretty even line on what it is like 90% of the time we're right down the tracks with each other. Now on a few things, cause I'm a lot younger than Lane, I cross over the tracks and jump off to the neighbor's place and run around for a minute and then come back. Sometimes, you know, some- and because, and because I'm older than him, I don't exactly want to go right yeah. To the track. Yeah. I want yeah. to stand over to the side and, yep. and, and not experience the exciting yeah. adventure of running from the train. Right. And that's and that's just it, it just how it is, but that's the reason it works. And and there's benefits to both sides. I drag Glenn along and he's getting a new grading camera whether he likes it or not. And he'll and, and, and what will end up happening is he's gonna love it because he's gonna be able to show people because the worst thing he does is call people and say, Hey, your cra- your your carcass sucks. It was so much fun. The guy came in with his camera and stuff, and he was showing me all the good things it would do and stuff. And and I'm there and said, I just don't understand how it helps my ROI. <laughs> he says, what? Yeah, my return on investment. How is this expensive camera going to make me more money? That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> and this and he poor was, kid. And this he was just kind of sputtering and things. Oh, it, I had a good time. He wasn't a great salesman, but he's a nice kid. He, he really is. Steve came and bailed him out. Yeah. But the, the problem lies though is like, cause, cause Lane would never go do that. No. Um, when we went to vacuum pack, if it wouldn't been for me just ordering machine and having it show up one day, we would still be using the old, the old route of what we were doing. And we was... may have been using paper and plastic by now. No, I, I don't I don't throw it out the window, but I think it could be possible if we wouldn't have just got we, a vacuum. We did bagger. we did for when we used the um the heat shrink. The heat treat. It did a good job. Yeah. We just didn't like I just didn't like the way it looked afterwards. 
It wasn't so much the, even the way it looked. It was the perforations, and when people would be throwing it out, then it would bleed, bleed, all, over bleed all over everything. And then they'd be pissed that, and call us. Yeah. So, I mean, great looks, work great, great shelf life, but bad, bad experiences <laughs> thawing the meat. Right, right. So, and, and, and we threw it out. We did. I mean, it's still sitting up in storage. We still need to... Anybody want to buy a heat shrink machine? Well, I need it for another project I'm working <laughs> oh, on. Oh, okay. Yeah. We be, I actually heat shrinked a bunch of cutting boards with it one day. Okay. Yeah. Think about... And then my wife's using the wrap for it. Yeah. To wrap bath bombs. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why you needed the that's wrap. That's why I needed the wrap. We there can, you go. Shit, we could do bath bombs for the next 60 years with the amount of wrap we have. But... But I just ordered it one day and told Lane it was showing up, and he wasn't in. He what he remembers old heat, you know, old vacuum pack. It took a long time, and they didn't seal very well, and you're always going back and resealing. And, and then you saw John's vacuum pack that didn't which, help you out. No, one that was never maintained, and and then I show up with this little vacuum pack, and it's not as big as some of the big ones. No, but I bet you we can put more stuff through it than most of the big ones. It's it's a great machine. Just, John, you know, we, we sent that uh, <clears throat> belly by mistake that needed to be fresh side. Yeah. So he went ahead and they vacuum packed it for him and put it in his freezer and things. And I opened it up and the vacuum packed. It's, there, it was just gone, right? Yeah. It was just, I was just glad it was in there for just a couple of days. But it was just gone. And and that's, and, it, and it's kind of like, well... Yeah, I tried, but it's too bad it didn't hold seal. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's just but, the way but, they are, right? But he serviced his machine like in 1925 when he bought it. Yeah. I, pretty I'm pretty funny. sure that machine hasn't been serviced since 2005 when he bought it. Yeah. I, I think he told us that. Yeah. We change the oil in ours once a month. Six weeks at the most. Yep. You know, and we're due for another one of those next weekend. We are. But, you know, that that's the difference, right? Like, you want you want to... You want to have a good product. You need to do the research. And the reason we're breeding the way we are with this black herd right now is because I've killed sons from these breedings. So I know they work. They do work. And they work well. As long as we don't screw them up. Don't pull them off feed early. Don't, you know what I'm saying? And some of these, we're not even putting on feed until they're over one. You know, we were looking the other day, we were out to the feedlot. Mm -hmm. And we have a, we have a, we have a beef, and he's just huge, huge. And we're going to we're going to kill him, and right before they deliver our camera. Yep. So we can look at him, and we can we can take pictures. What I'm excited about, not only of the ribeye, we can set it for New Yorks, for sirloin tips, yep. or top sirloins, for all the main cuts. And exactly what the fat ratio is on each one of the cuts. Correct. And we can document that. We can, it even takes fat samples. Right. So our um, melting, all of our melting point tests, Link and Adam right to the pictures. Um, anything that we have done with that animal as far as yep. feed, uh, what the ration is, um, it can birth, be weight, birth weight, it pounds can, per day. It can be all added in there. And so we have that for each and every animal. In one spot, rather than having five spots to go dig and it out of. That we can 
just reference the animal. Right. And, and then on top of it, it'll show us our best animals and our worst animals so that we can see if there's a genetic trend or if it's just us not getting our job done. You know? And it's probably 50-50 right now. It's probably... I think it'll always be that way, though. Mm-hmm. There's no way for us to be able to alleviate 100% of our problem. There's just no way. It just it, The worst thing we could do right now is go backwards, right? Right. But at the same time, <clears throat> we know that we're 50% of the problem when it comes to cows. So There's been a time or two that we've <clears throat> looked at things and we've taken a step back to where we were to go forward again. Right, but that's just right. because we bred some bad animals. Yeah. And it wasn't that they were terrible animals. So here's the problem you guys all don't see either. When I say an animal's rough or bad, 98% of you would probably kill to have them in your herd. I have such good animals that I get picky over coat selection now. Do they grow enough hair in the winter to stay warm where I'm at? Do they have a nice feminine head when they're a cow? Do they have a head like a bull? Like, are they symmetrical? <clears throat> are they symmetrical? I, one of the questions Lane, Lane always, get, I can see, doesn't understand when I ask him, what's the difference in weight between the two briskets? I ask him all the time. One's right-handed and one's left-handed. Right, but uh, cows will have a bigger brisket because they lay on one side predominantly. Okay. But the closer we can make them, the better we did. That's the same thing. Why is one side a little bit bigger than the other side? Right. It's the same thing. They they write right-sided or left-sided. Right. And they tend to make the right... Whatever what side, side they are, yep. the stronger side, right? Correct. Um, and, and that's the big thing, like guys. So, so when you hear me say I don't like the animal or it's not a good animal, I want you to keep that in perspective. Um, I've got such good animals, especially phenotypically. Like I come from the Hereford world. Uh, I come from the Hereford Angus world, to be honest with you. And I hate bad feet and I hate bad structure and I hate bad udders. Oh, you, you should see him at the county fairs oh, and the state good. fairs and at association meetings and at the Denver show. And all we're talking about all day long is the bad feet. Yeah. Of all breeds. Why would they even bring that here? Look how bad its feet are. Boy, that don't have good feet. I wouldn't I wouldn't put that in my herd if you paid me a hundred thousand dollars. Right. I mean it's like that all the time. So Well, I the winning cow at Denver two years ago in the Angus world got told. He comes over to us and goes, Man, wouldn't you love ten of these in your herd? I go, I wouldn't take any of them. Look at her feet. And he just looked at us and he goes, oh, I know who you are and walks off. But, but it's important because there's two problems with bad feet and cows. One, they're never going to be cortisol free if they have bad feet. And we put a lot of weight on these cows. So that means we put them on some concrete from the feed bunk. We put them on some concrete for the water. And then they have a soft pack to walk on every other time. But every time we walk them on that concrete, their feet are going to get sore. You know, and Lane, I got, to, I showed Lane why you never overfeed bulls and take them to a show. 
Oh, boy. Because they put them up on gravel, and what happened, Lane? They, their feet were so sore, they had uh, Novocaine, their feet just even they, walk them they in the were, ring. They were, they were lidocaine blocking the fetlock, so they couldn't feel anything from the knee down on them, on them bulls. Just to get them to stand. Like, like yeah, it, everybody goes, oh, that, that doesn't happen. Oh, it happens more than you think. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the show ring. It's the show ring. They do some <laughs> interesting that stuff. That was, that, going to these show rings was an, was a. My favorite question's usually like this. Hey, Steve, what, what is he doing to that bull's leg? Oh, he's blocking it because his feet are sore. What? <laughs> so, hey, let's go talk to him. Right. Hey, Steve. Why are those animals so fat? They could never breed a cow if they wanted to. Right. Yeah. That, those are the questions you get asked when you take the new guy. <laughs> well, they, they just spend their whole life in the collection yeah. facility and they don't. My favorite question probably was from Lane. Man, those things look like yield grade fives, don't they? And I go, yeah, they're probably seven eighths to two inches of back fat. Yep. They're more like a pig than they are a cow. You know, and, and that's the problem, right? The, the show ring is not perspective of the industry as a whole. And Lane had a hard time understanding that. I accept it, but it's a hard thing to understand. Right. They're just, they're there to show big showy cattle that don't have anything to do. No generic, no genetic merit to the breed at all. Like if you use half these And that's crazy to me because like you said, perspective is nine-tenths right. of the thing, right? Yep. So we go with our, our bulls, great bulls. In great shape. In great shape. That can be a herd bull, working bull, collection bull, that, wherever, that, you, that, need, that wherever you need him. That was currently working when we took him there. And we get told he's not fed enough or he's too moderate in size. You know, and that's the stuff that, and it's like I told Lane, I go, Lane, I don't mind losing to people who beat me. I hate losing to judges that don't know what they're doing. Exactly. And then I have to always remember when I was a kid, the bull at Denver, no matter what the breed, was the bull that that industry bred to because they were good bulls. But in 25, 30 years now, that's no longer the case. You're going to win your belt buckle and show your fancy cows, and that's what you're going to do. You're not going there to be the next breed perspective person, and I go not willing to comply to that because I can't. I hate ruining good cattle, so I just don't do it. And if we lose every single time, so be it. But I will bring physically fit, squared up cattle that have good phenotypes and good feet. That we don't have to doctor while we're there. And it's not about winning. No. It's about selling. Well, and that's what everybody forgets. Everybody's like, oh, I went to Denver and won. And then I go, well, how much semen did you sell? Well, I don't know. Not very much. We didn't win at Denver, yet we sold a shit ton of semen. I made 40 grand in a day and a half. So quick, it wasn't even funny. And, And even like the Idaho State Fair? Oh, yeah. Well, how, how much how much semen has Wally oh, uh, sold or uh, bought or sold for us? A couple hundred thousand dollars worth. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, though. I guess you guys are looking at this from the wrong from perspective. From one bull. From one bull. This is all the same bull. 
So he made 40 grand in January. We roll him back in in August. He made another 200 grand at a, at a state fair. And he was just a little over a year old. Right. Right. And that's what I try to tell people. I go, when you go to these shows, it's not about winning the show. It's about selling your semen. It's just about to get you in front of other people who want to have your stuff. And that's, you know, that's something Lane's really good at because he's good at sales. Getting your stuff out in front of people. Um, I do have a kind of interesting side note. I feel like, uh, so we're building a new home right now. Yes, we are. And um, Lane's Lane's the construction foreman for most of it. And I've got a real... ass for a contractor to work with yeah which is me (laughs) but here's the deal so i told lane i go why can these plumbers not show up on time why can't they stay all day and do what they're supposed to why can't they work in the rain it's not like they're an electrician or anything well think about it you work with water all day and shit and you can't go out because it's raining like like lane seriously and Lane's sitting here laughing because we had this conversation earlier. And, and the guy showed up today and he did more work than most people would do in two days already, right? And that yeah. half day he was there. Yeah. But I go, Lane, wouldn't his life be so much better if he just showed up on time and did what he's supposed to? We still haven't got the insulation guys back to finish tomorrow. the tomorrow morning. Finish the garage. Yeah, tomorrow morning. That's a whole uh, insulation guys. So I'm like, what kind of world do we live in? So my house is not, it, it's, it's marginally sized. We'll call it that marginally sized. And they spray foam the basement. Cause we're putting in heated tubes in the basement. Um, and, and they do that so that we can heat the concrete because it gets cold here. And Lane keeps telling me it's the best way to heat your home. So I've complied with him and we're, that's what we're doing. But the big thing is um, they have to foam between the ground and where the the hydronic tubes lie. These guys do my entire house, right? After breaking their gun and not showing up for four days, they do my house. And they have a garage, 400 square feet garage to do. It'd take them an hour. An hour. Yeah. And they packed their crap up, washed everything up, and went home. Then it rained for the next three days. Yeah. I'm like, come on. It's an hour. But... uh, Though, like, I, I was just wondering if anybody else knew, like, if this is just like a plumber thing that they should. <laughs> an like, insulator thing. An insulator thing. Because I'm not from this industry. So I, we have a very good friend that, that told me that I'm just damn lucky they showed up at all. He's like, I've had a plumber saying he was going to show up and hook my water up for three weeks and still hasn't made it there. But he bought all the parts for the last four weeks every time he texts me. <laughs> yeah, but the, you do things a little different than most people do. Yeah. You say, I got your cash and $100 bills. You get over here and I'll pay you. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. So they, they tend to get over there quick. Fast. Yeah, yeah, they get over there quick. Um, the problem is, is just keeping it. They're like a kid with ADD is what I've realized. If you, you can't keep them going for very long. It's like I told Lane, I go, shit, you know the money I'd make if I could just hired 12 plumbers and made them show up on time? Think about it, though. Say I, could, I opened a plumbing company called On Time Plumbing. There you go. And we showed up on time, and we got the job done ahead of schedule. I bet you I'd have all the business in the county. Probably. Every contractor would be calling me, and then my guys would be late because we don't have too much work. 
<laughs> but but the, the reality is to me is just wild to me that that we've had the problems that we've had about people showing up on time. Um, our guys at the office, uh, Lane doesn't make them show up on time, but around time. And I feel the same way sometimes about that. So they've been good during the elk season. They've been good. It's just the rest of the year. They're not the greatest. So what else we got left on there, Lane? Uh, We talked about the bows we use in AI and ET, and we had a bunch of good cow talk. So one one thing I'm going to leave you guys with, uh, in Japan, there's two frames of thought. And I've got a lot of friends in Japan, and I've got a lot of colleagues, and I've got a lot of friends who are big in the industry. There's two frames of thought in Japan. You either have to have Tajima cattle, which is pretty much done in Kobe, Hongo Prefecture, right? But the rest of the country breeds to a bull called Dai 7, or one of his progeny is usually what they're they're bred to. Um, Idomichi, prime example of Dai 7. If you were to just take that and breed a Dai 7-based animal into your herd, you would probably benefit in marbling by at least 10% increase if you don't have any in there now. Okay. If you were to stack it in the pedigree somehow, that's not super line bred, you would probably have some of the nicer carcasses in the country. Now, here's the big one. If you do this, you have to feed them. You have to feed them efficiently. You have to feed them correctly. Um, And you'll have a great product. If you wanted like the super cheat code, like from when you were a kid and you had a Nintendo, that would be it. Figure out your die sevens, bring them in, get them deep. And if you want to throw some Tajima lines in, that's fine too. Like a Yasufuku Jr. or something like that, a Kosin. That, that's just going to help you. Or Kitty Jr. But the problem with Jr. is you're going to make that thing so small that you may not like it. So that's just the ABC cheat code for you. Okay. Um, and something to think about as a black breeder. I know a lot of you, this is important. This is a big thing. I've been asked a lot to talk about it. And once a month, we're going to talk about blacks. Just the way it's going to be. And I'll have to figure out some stuff. I think I'm going to have Janelle and them come on too. Because they're a lot better at it than I am. I'm good at it, but they're, they've been in the industry for 40 years. Do you think we can ever get Barbara on from Australia? On oh, a- yeah. Yeah, I talked to her about it the other yesterday. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, it could be interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> you never know with her on the phone. Uh, we'd have to do it at night, pretty yeah. late, like midnight our time. Right. Just so it's good time for her. Uh, midnight. So f- 5 o'clock p.m. our time is 7 o'clock a.m. their time. So just to keep that into perspective, if you're trying to do business in Australia. So, okay, I'm going to leave you with that. And here is to another great warm fall day. We'll see you later at What's S- New in Wagyu. See you guys. Tennessee Byway One arm on the wheel Holding my lover With the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week Got a little jingle On a Tennessee Saturday night 
Couldn't feel better I'm together With my Dixieland tonight Spend my dollar Park in a holler Needs a mountain moonlight Hold her up tight Make a little loving A little turn it up And on a Mason Dixon night It's my life Munching on clover, red-tailed hawk sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind. Homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl on a Tennessee Saturday night. Lucky as a seven. Living in heaven with my Dixieland delight. Spend my dollars, park in a holler, need the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turtle dubbing on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life. It's my life, oh so right, my dear. 